Okay, in the, usually on Sunday mornings, um, I, I open up a section of Scripture and we kind of walk through it. Today we're going to jump around to a number of different passages in Scripture. And we're starting this series called Untangled with looking at this tangled mess that we live in. It's been our heart's desire as we've been journeying through this, starting off the new year, this financial piece. This has been our, our goal as a, as a church to untangle our finances, untangle the mess of our finances so that God can do what? So that God can unleash financial discipleship in our lives personally, that we would have contentment in our lives, that he would unleash financial discipleship in our families, that our marriages would be better because of that, and then he would unleash it into our community so that as we get our things in order, and we begin to look at it stewardship-wise, that God could use the resources he's given us so that we could impact and change the world. That's been our heart's desire. And in these next five weeks, that's what we're going to be doing. We're going to be looking at budgeting. We're going to be looking at investing. We're going to be looking at giving. We're going to be looking at a whole bunch of these things. The message will culminate in five weeks with a celebration Sunday, and you, you'll hear some stories of every single person that's gone through financial peace, some of the stories of what God has done in their life in transforming their finances and in transforming their lives. And we're going to celebrate that on the last week of this series. But we're going to start off this morning, and we're going to talk about a heart issue that many of us struggle with, and that's contentment. And the truth of the matter is, you can learn how to budget, you can learn how to invest, but if you don't address this first thing first of looking at our heart and our discontent heart and untangling the mess of that, we will never live the kinds of lives that Christ has called us to live. And the verse that we're using in this series comes from Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2. And it says this, let us throw off everything that hinders us. Let us throw off those things that hinder us. The sin that so easily entangles us. And what's the financial sin that we struggle with or the cultural sin is that we want more, that more is better, that we need to get and acquire and keep getting things. And that kind of entangles us, this desire for more. And these sins that entangle us and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. We don't want to trip over all this, this stuff that we have in our life. We want to run with perseverance, fixing our eyes where? On Jesus. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. And the, the truth of the matter is, when we think about the tangled mess of finances, it comes from you and I when we, we struggle with always wanting to have more things. We want more. We need more. We, we want to acquire this. We need to get that. We need a bigger house. We need to get these things. And what happens in life is sometimes we don't have the money for all of these things. And so we go and we look for ways to, to get money so that we can. So we borrow money. And that becomes the tangled mess of things. If we were just talking about spending money we've saved, there, that wouldn't be an issue. But we often borrow money and we get into credit card debt and it tangles us in the mess of our finances. And it's so evident that even Saturday Night Live did a little skit about um, the struggles that we have as a culture with money and more and living within a budget. And so here's Saturday Night Live. I just can't get these numbers to add up. Like we're never going to get out of this hole. Credit card debt, does it ever end? <laughs> Maybe I can help. We sure could use it. We've tried debt consolidation companies. 
We've even taken out loans to help make payments. Well, you're not the only ones. Did you know millions of Americans live with debt they cannot control? That's why I developed this unique new program for managing your debt. It's called Don't Buy Stuff You Cannot Afford. Now, let me see that. If you don't have any money, you should not buy anything. Hmm, sounds interesting. Sounds confusing. I don't know, honey. This makes a lot of sense. There's a whole section here on how to buy expensive things using money you save. Give me that. And where would you get this saved money? I tell you where and how in chapter three. Okay, but what if I want something but I don't have any money? You don't buy it. Well, let's say I don't have enough money to buy something. Should I buy it anyway? No. <laughs> now I'm really confused. It's a little confusing at first. Well, what if you have the money? Can you buy something? Yes. Now take the money away. Same story? Nope. You shouldn't buy stuff when you don't have the money. <laughs> I think I got it. I buy something I want and then hope that I can pay for it, right? <laughs> no. You make sure you have money, then you buy it. Oh, then you buy it. But shouldn't you buy it before you have the money? <laughs> no. Why not? It's in the book. It's only one page long. <laughs> is priceless and the book is free. Wow, I like the sound of that. Yeah, we can put it on our credit card. <laughs> so get out of debt now. Write for your free copy of Don't Buy Stuff You Cannot Afford. And if you order now, you'll also receive Seriously, if you don't have the money, don't buy it. Along with a 12-month subscription to Stop Buying Stuff magazine. So order today. Stuff. We, we live in a world that is full of stuff, right? And we get hung up on buying and acquiring and getting more and more stuff, and so much so that we end up in debt, and we, we, we start expanding, extending ourselves more than, than, than we have the means to. And what are some of the excuses that we make? What are some of the lies that our culture says to you and I that gets us trapped in these things? And here's a couple of them. Here's, there's probably more than three, but these are the big three that I, I saw as I was praying through this week. These are the lies that entangle us. The first lie that entangles us is we say things like this. I need it. I really need this. I really want this. I, 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 I got to get this thing. You know, and, and culture is really good at this. We, we, I was in, in Chicago, and I typically don't go shopping. I'm just not really a shopper. But I was in Chicago, and I walked into Macy's, and there was this super sweet coat. It's this Hugo Boss coat. Oh, man, it looks so good. It was a little bit on sale, and I went, that's way more than I want to spend for a coat. But it was sweet. It was awesome. And so that was la last year. And then this winter, I was looking at my coat going, mm, you know, my coat is, is really bad, and it, it's got holes in the pockets. You know, one time I lost my phone for 45 minutes because it actually was in the back of the coat. <laughs> Because it went through the hole and it was sitting over here and I was searching the house and it was stuck back there behind there. And so this winter, I was like, a couple months ago, I was like, oh, you know, maybe I'll check out that coat, see if I can find it on sale somewhere for really cheap or something. So I look it up online. I'm like looking at it. I can't find it cheap. 
Now, for the last two months, every time I go on Facebook, every time I go on the internet, you know, because they keep track of the things you search for, that coat is like popping up everywhere. It's just like taunting me. You, could, you sure would look sweet in that coat, Tim. Boy, oh boy, that'd be awesome. You really need that coat. You got to have that coat. Why don't you get yourself that coat? See that coat? That coat is terrible. You know, that's, and that's what happens. That's the way our culture is like, you want it, you need it. And Jesus knew we would struggle with this. Look at the words of Jesus in Luke chapter 12. He hits this straight on. And the fascinating thing when you look at Jesus talking about money, Jesus talked about money more than he talked about heaven or hell combined. Actually, heaven and hell combined. Why? Because he knew he would struggle with contentment. He knew he would struggle with this. This is what he said. Watch out. He's saying there's something that's going to come at you. You need to be on guard. Be on your guard. Don't let your guard down at all. This thing is going to sneak up near you. It's going to try to attack you from the backside. It's going to kick you when in, the, in your tail. He says this, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. What is greed? Wanting more stuff. Wanting more. Greed, even 2,000 years ago, people struggled with greed, wanting more. And he says, life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Life does not consist of an abundance of possessions. And we have stuff, and we get caught up in the abundance of possessions and the stuff that we buy. And sometimes I'll hear people like, well, I'm not really into um, possessions or stuff, and they make like they're much better, and they go, I'm just into experiences. <laughs> so what you mean is you want to blow your money on all kinds of experiences, and that's great to go on vacation. It's not bad to have stuff. But what they do is, it's, and I'm kind of, I can be guilty of this one, is I will be on Facebook and I go, oh, man, look, that person is on vacation there. And that person's on vacation there. They're skiing down that hill. They're climbing up that mountain. I want to do that. I want to go there. I want to go do that. And, and if Jesus was talking to people like me, that he would say, life does not consist in an abundance of experiences as well. Experiences aren't bad. Stuff isn't bad. But when you make that your life, it, your life is off track. And we we say things like, I need it, when it really means I want it. And so that's the first thing we've got to guard ourselves against, is that's a lie that we'll keep hearing. I need it, I need it, I need it. And then the next thing we do is this. We'll say things like, I deserve it. I deserve it. I work hard for this. This is mine. I deserve it. And the interesting thing is that is the very first sin in Scripture. When Adam and Eve were in the garden and they had everything around them and Satan came to them and said, you have all of this, but there's one thing you're missing. And, and why would God not let you have this? You deserve to have this. You need this. You deserve it. And then they gave in to that temptation. We say that to ourselves. I, I need it. I deserve it. And why do we say I deserve it? It's because we're feeling insecure inside of ourselves and we think that if I acquire this thing, then it will make me feel good. And does it make us feel good? It makes us feel good in that moment, but that moment doesn't last, does it? It's a, you're on to the next thing. You're on to something else. 
And, I, and, and the interesting thing about this one, I deserve it. I have seen this used to destroy marriages. People will say this. Well, I deserve it. I worked for it. And in Scripture, it says this. Greedy people bring trouble to their families. When we're saying, I deserve it, you don't. I deserve it. I get this. And I have seen so many couples sitting in my office, and they are struggling marriage-wise, and they're keeping score of what this person's buying and what this person's buying. And the number one cause of divorce is money. Because we struggle with wanting and needing and desiring more. I need it. I deserve it. Last one we say is this. I got it under control. I got it under control. I got this together. I can handle it. Here's here's some stats on on debt. Do we have it under control in America? 50% of Americans... Um, live paycheck to paycheck. Is that having it under control? No, not really. How about 55% of Americans, more than half, spend more money than they are making every year? Is that having it under control? No. 55% of Americans didn't save anything last year. And here's their credit card debt. $772 billion in our country credit card debt. Why? I need it. I deserve it. I want it. I got it under control when we really don't. And this is what it looks like in Scripture. A person without self-control is like a house with its doors and its windows knocked out. It's just completely open to the elements. Free, whatever is the air out there, whatever's going on in culture out there is happening inside of my house. And we just kind of, we become people like that. And it, it kind of reminded me of back, as, as Mark said, say your favorite candy. Back when we were kids, we, 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 a bunch of us used to hang out together, and we would always get candy. We had paper routes that we got candy. We wanted to have enough candy for our paper route. And so one of the candies that we always bought was Sprees. Does anyone remember Sprees? It's like this long cylinder with these rainbow of colors all the way down. And it was a big, huge thing, and we could put it in the back of our bell-bottom jeans, and we could eat those babies throughout our whole whole uh, paper route, and we would stuff those. Sometimes we'd get two of those. I remember one time we went to, to Babalo Island. I don't know if you remember Babalo Island, but for those of you that are younger, there used to be this island in the Detroit River that you'd actually get on a boat, and then you'd drive on this boat to this island of amusement, and then you'd get on the boat and drive back. It was awesome as a kid, because you'd just drop you off, and we took this bus down, and and we were eighth, seventh or eighth grade or something. And we, we were there and we brought the sprees and we, we were just popping them in more, 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 more. And then uh, um, there was a ride there called the rotor. Anyone remember the rotor? It was this big cylinder and you got into the rotor and you stood against the wall of the rotor and then the thing started spinning. And it started spinning. And then the floor went and dropped out and you were stuck to the wall it was awesome (laughs) it was really awesome it's probably dangerous now but it was awesome then and we went on it and we came off and went that was awesome and we're popping our sprees more pop and boy they let's do that again and what does an eighth grade boy say do it again yeah let's go on it again so we all ran on it again and then we came out and, and joel was doing this and then we saw the rainbow. <laughs> it was like every color all over the ground. <laughs> there were sprees spewing out. 
And I think that's a lot like you and I. We're like popping, hey, one more, one more, one more. I can handle this. I can keep buying this. This is good. I don't really, it doesn't really matter. I got it under control. I got it under control. And then we get statements or we get behind and the thing starts spinning and it starts spinning and it starts spinning. And then we get way behind in, in our credit card payments. And then all of a sudden our life is one big rainbow of mess. And we're lying to ourselves saying, I'm in control. I'm in control. I got this. And the truth of the matter is that Jesus wants to show us how we can get to the heart of the matter and look at our heart. Because the truth is when we fix our eyes on Christ, he actually wants to give us contentment. We are wired as sinful people, we are wired to be discontent. That's just our sinful nature is always wanting more. Our sinful nature is never quite satisfied. It's always. And, and he wants to show us that we can be content. And we want to run this race of perseverance with contentment. And the truth of the matter, if you don't get contentment in your heart, you can learn all the tools in the Dave Ramsey classes about budgeting. You can learn the tools about saving and about investing. But you will never be able to handle the temptation of stuff. Unless you learn contentment. And Jesus wants to teach us that. And the Apostle Paul, which is a fascinating section of Scripture, if you ever want to rediscover joy in your life, read the book of Philippians. The whole book is about joy. And, and the fascinating thing about this section of Scripture is that Paul wrote this book of Philippians to the church at Philippi. And where he's writing this book from is in jail. He is in prison, he is locked up in prison, and he's writing a letter. So he's writing a letter about joy when his circumstance stinks. And you may think your circumstance stinks right now, but Paul is saying, you know what? In the middle of that circumstance, you can still have joy and you can still have contentment. And he actually believes you and I can have that as well. And he's encouraging this church at Philippi. And he's encouraging this church here in Shelby Township to have contentment. And this is the verse in Philippians 4, starting in verse 12. It says this, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. He's had it both in life. He's had a lot. He's had a little bit. And he says this, I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. What is he saying? I learned the secret. That he's saying that not everybody in the world gets this. Not everybody in the world has learned this. Not everybody in the world realizes that re real contentment is available to you and Jesus and actually applies that into their life. Most people have never learned this. They're continually searching for that next thing to bring that contentment that is going to last. And they haven't quite figured out that that next thing, that next thing, that ne it's never, they're on a cycle that is never satisfying. And he says, I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or living in want. And so what's the secret of being content? He says this, I can do all this through whom? Through him, through Jesus Christ, who does what? Who gives me strength. That we have a God who's not distant and removed up in heaven. That he's right here in this place, right now with us. And he's saying, I can give you contentment. Your heart can be content. 
You may feel like it's discontent right now and you're always searching for that next thing. He's saying, you know what? I can give you strength that you didn't know you could receive ever. And it's coming from me. He doesn't say pull yourselves up. He doesn't say look within yourself. He says, fix your attention on me and I will give this to you. And so how do we begin to do this? How do we begin to look to Christ for contentment? How do we do that? And, and it's this. There's three things we're going to look at that I think are really practical that will help us learn this contentment. These are things that Paul learned, and he wants to teach you and I. And the, the first thing is this, is to stop comparing ourselves to others. Stop comparing ourselves to someone else. The first thing, if we want to be content, is we need to stop it. Just stop comparing. We look at other things and we start comparing ourselves. We start thinking, this person has this, I don't have that, I want that. God made you unique. We went through the Strength Finders things and we looked at how unique every single one of us was. We've been uniquely created by God. And we, we find ourselves comparing who we are to someone else. We, when then we compare our looks. We compare what we own. We compare everything to someone else. It could be our national pastime in our countries, comparing ourselves to someone else. And in 2 Corinthians, Paul says it like this. He says, do not dare... Do not dare classify or compare ourselves. Do not dare. Don't do it. It's just not wise. It's foolish. When you compare what you have to someone else, it's foolish. It's going to lead to discontentment. But we do this, don't we? We compare ourselves. Think about when you go to visit someone at their house. They, they invite you over for dinner. What's the first thing you do when you walk in? It's interesting. I'm over here. Yeah, I'm just looking at your house, checking it out. Hey, look at that. Oh, you walk into their kitchen. Mmm, that's a nice looking kitchen. Ooh, did you do this floor? It looks really good. I, ooh, these cabinets are fantastic. Oh, look at the drapes. In here. Ooh, the couch is nice. And you start looking at all that. Then you come home at night and you go, mmm, jeez, we need a new couch. We need to redo our kitchen. This is terrible. We need... we. Isn't that what we do? We compare. We look at everything. We start comparing it. We compare what they have. You, you know, we compare our cars. We compare our clothes. And everybody else's stuff looks so much better than ours, right? That's what we do. This is what we need to do. We need to learn to admire without the need to acquire. Okay, got it? Maybe you want to write that down. We need to learn to admire things without the need to acquire. You know, if you look at their house, just admire it. You don't need to inquire it. If you pull up at the stop sign and you look over at me and I'm in the car next to you and you look at, I'm sitting there in that 2000 Chevy, you know, Astro van with the 240,000 miles and you're thinking, mm, that's a nice looking car. I need to acquire that. Woo! You can admire without the need to acquire. All right? Admire. And you know what that means even? It means we celebrate when someone's successful, when someone's doing well, when they get a raise, when they get a new house. We can celebrate that because you know what? That's great what God's doing in their life because I'm thankful for that, 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 that God, you're doing this in their life, and I can actually celebrate that. When we are discontent, we can't celebrate what God's doing in someone else's life if it's good because we compare it to ourselves. So, second thing with that is not only admire, just admire without acquiring, but we don't have to purchase everything. We, this is what happens. Do, we do this. 
we like get into something like, oh, you know, I'm getting into my jet skis. That's fun. You know, somebody, I went jet skiing with someone at their cottage. That was awesome. And we go, I should get some jet skis. Get a couple of jet skis, you know, uh, maybe I get a cottage to go with those jet skis. We look at those things and we want those things. And the truth is, how many times a year do we use those things? Only a few times a year. We could rent those things. We could borrow those things. You could, you could share. You, could, you, you don't have to get them just because you're into them. You can share them with someone. Say, for example, you have jet skis and you have a cottage. You can share those things with me. If you got a cottage and you need to get the cobwebs out and you want to share that, you can share it with me. If the getsies are out there, share them with me. That would be awesome. You can share them. You want something in life. You don't have to go. You can borrow. There's people here at church. You can like, hey, I don't, I, I, you know, you're like, I want to get that tool. How often are you going to use that tool? Probably once. But man, I want to have it. You could borrow that from someone else. And we can do that. And we need to stop, stop comparing and just. And so the next time you walk through somebody's house, next time, I want you to take this verse here, this next verse. This is huge. And this is in like God's top 10 of verses. This is in the Ten Commandments. So it's like, I got 10 things I really don't want you guys to. You do these things, life's not going to be good for you. Don't kill people, okay? Just don't. Don't do that. That's not good. We'd go, yeah, that's not good. Um, don't steal stuff from other people. That's not good. Don't lie. Don't sleep with someone that's not your wife. You're like, those are pretty big things. In that list is this. Do not covet anything that belongs to your neighbor. What does that mean? That means I want to have it. I need it. I want to get it. I deserve it. I want it. That's what covet means. I wish I had what they have. It's, it's this uncontrolled desire to acquire. That's what coveting is. And he says in Scripture, you shall not covet. It's not good for you if you covet. Things will not go well for you. Actually, in the Hebrew, the word covet, what it means is to pant after. I mean, this is what you and I look like when we're coveting. <laughs> I gotta have it. I want it. I'm gonna get it. I got it. So next time you walk through someone's house, and you, I want you to remember this verse, you're walking through, go, hmm, that's nice stuff. They got really nice stuff. I'm sure I'm glad I don't have their payments. I'm sure. I wonder what the payments are for this. It's got to be a lot. Glad I don't have it. And then celebrate what they have and enjoy it. And that's the next thing for you and I. The second thing that we need to do is stop comparing and then do this. Enjoy what I have. Often we are too busy going after what someone else has or acquiring something else to enjoy the thing that we have right here. You ever see someone that got so overextended to buy that dream house? They stretched it to the limit to buy that dream house. And you know what? They're never home because they're working all kinds of extra hours to pay for that dream house. I mean, think we got backyards that are beautiful that we never sit in and enjoy. Right? We got swimming pools in, the, in backyards that we only swim a few times a year in those swimming pools. We've got these things that God has given us and we're not enjoying them. We're not stopping and saying, God, thank you for what you've given me. Let me just enjoy these things. Instead of pursuing something else, 
Let me just kind of bask in enjoying what you've given me. The truth about life is God created you to enjoy life. He wants you to enjoy it. It brings a smile to his face when he, you, you enjoy life. I mean, think of all the things that God does so that we can actually enjoy life. We can actually enjoy life. Think of, think of taste buds. God created taste buds. He could have just made food bland. He's like, no, I'm going to give people taste buds. Why? So they can enjoy life. And I heard the ladies yesterday at the women's group had Cinnabons. And I didn't get one of those Cinnabons. And I would have enjoyed life better if they had one of those Cinnabons. We have taste buds and we enjoy things like Cinnabons. God created eardrums that could hear people and enjoy music. I mean, music is a, just something we just sit back and enjoy. I don't know about you, I love music. I just listen, I enjoy music. When someone, you know, next time you're in a discussion with someone and they bring up evolution, throw this one out. Why in the world do we have music? There's no survival instinct that music, there's nothing that helps us survive in life because of music. Music is something that God gave to us so that we could do what? Express emotions. We, you know, music talks about joy and sadness and just expressing love because we have a God who is emotional and he loves when we express those emotions back to him. And he gave us the ability to just enjoy music. And we get the chance to enjoy music and just praising him and worshiping him on Sunday morning. It's a gift that he gives to us. He gives us skin so that we can touch. Maybe you, you're, you're interested in acquiring things you haven't even held hands with your spouse in such a long time. Just enjoy the, the touch that we have. He gave us eyes. You know, he, he could have made the world black and white, but he made it color. And he gave us these eyes so that we can enjoy sunrises and sunsets and all of these things he does, these things for your benefit and just enjoy. One of the things I love to do in the, in the summer is just get out on my bike and I go down the path, um, down the trail, and I just enjoy the nature of, of Paint Creek Trail and just the trees and the colors, and, and I just enjoy it. And um, I, there's very serious bikers on the path that are really serious. And I, I met one of the fellows that was a, really into biking at, at Bean and Leaf once. He said, oh, I'm out on the trail all the time. What, what kind of bike do you have? You know, I don't always notice the people, but I notice their bike. And I go, uh, I have one with like two wheels. <laughs> I'm sure his bike rides much better than my bike, whatever his bike is. But I just have some old bike, but it doesn't matter. I don't need a fancy bike to enjoy everything that God has given me on that trail. It's there. And many of you are sitting and thinking, you know what? You don't need all that new furniture and all that stuff to enjoy the people that are in your life. You don't need, you know, the things that you have. Enjoy those things. Next time you sit on your couch, just, just sit down and enjoy your couch. Look at how 1 Timothy says it like this. I love this verse. It says, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to, to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in what? Their trust should be in God, who does what? Richly gives us all we need for our what? For enjoyment. Everything that you have, all the stuff that you have, I've given it to you so that you can enjoy it. Would you just stop and bask in it and enjoy it? We're so obsessed with getting more that we don't enjoy what we have. And Ecclesiastes says it like this, enjoy what you have rather than desiring what you don't have. 
That's a commandment to be content. He's commanding us to be content. Many of you have to-do lists in your life, and you're like, in the morning, you got your little to-do list of things to do that you want to get done that day. Why don't you take this verse, this Ecclesiastes, put that on your to-do list. This is something for you to do. This is a command. It's saying, put this on. Enjoy what you have rather than desiring something else. Put that on your to-do list for this week, that I'm going to this week enjoy what I have. God has given me these things. Enjoy. And it doesn't have to be big, huge, and small things. I remember when we first came back to Africa, we were so enamored with things that many of us now take for granted. I remember walking in and I go, there's electricity. This is awesome. We had electricity six out of seven days because they had to cut the power because there wasn't enough electricity for the whole country. So one day of the week, we didn't. lights went off. Cold showers for everyone. Electricity. I remember like, there's a whole aisle of toilet paper and it's soft. It's awesome. There's ice machines and we can have ice. And I don't have to drink warm Coke. <laughs> That's awesome. There's ice cream. Oh my gosh, we love, we actually made our own ice cream because we, we missed it so much. There's so many things we have. Just slow your life down a little bit. Take these things that God has given you and just enjoy them. Enjoy them. Stop thinking about what someone else has. Enjoy what you do have. We are so rich in this country. We have so much. And the one thing that we're missing, that countries that have just a fraction of what we have, is contentment and joy. Enjoy it. Enjoy it. And then the last thing that every single one of us needs to do is focus on what lasts forever. Build our life on eternal priorities. Focus on those things that are going to last for all eternity. I was flipping through the free press this week uh, online on the free press website, and they have houses down at the bottom. And I came across this beauty. Zero bedrooms, zero baths for $175. You're like, that fits in my budget. That works for me. $175. And there it is, a pile of rubbish. You want to know something? At one point, that was somebody's dream house. At one point, somebody had the keys to that house, and they walked in and went, oh, this is where I'm so glad we are here. And they probably enjoyed it and lived in it, and they maybe, maybe a few families were in there. I was wondering which were the families that were raised in that house and lives that were impacted in that house. But you know what? The house is just rubble right now. And you know what? Everything in our life, all of the stuff of our life will be that one day. Our house will be that one day. That stuff we bought this week will be that one day. Even trees will eventually die. They will be that one day. Stuff doesn't last. It's not eternal. All of our stuff will end up in a pile of rubbish. It may not be 50 years from now. It may be 100, but it will eventually end up there. And what are the things that don't change. What are things that last forever? Jesus Christ, he lasts forever. His, his faithfulness is forever. His word lasts forever. In scripture, it says, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word will never pass away. God's word will always be with us. It will never change. It will never pass away. How many of you, when, it, when you're reading through your Facebook feed, you're like, 
Oh, everything that's on my Facebook feed is 100% true. <laughs> yeah, this person's quoting this thing or posting this article. That's true. I believe it's true because they posted it. No. How many, every time you read news site, you're like, that's definitely true. It's on there. It must be true. We, we know clearly those things. There's many things we read. It's fake news, false news, bad news, all kinds of stuff. Let me ask you this. In God's word, how many of us believe that God's word is true? We say, yeah, we believe that. This is God's word. He's speaking to us. He wants to speak to us. But here's the question for you and I. Why do we spend so much time reading that stuff that's fake and not reading what is true? This will last forever. Politics will come and go. This is eternal. God's word. And this week, this verse in Proverbs 30 just hit home for me. I read it before, but it just meant a lot to me. And maybe it'll give you some perspective when you look at your own life. And Because the wisdom, it's thousands and thousands of years old. It's God's word speaking to us. But the words are so relevant to us today. And this is the prayer of Solomon in Proverbs. He says this. Oh God, I beg two favors from you. I beg two favors from you. Let me have them before I die. What are those two favors? First, help me to never tell a lie. That's great. Second, give me neither poverty nor riches. What is he saying? He's saying life is not about things. I I know we can easily get possessed in our possessions, and that's not what life is all about. I've walked down that road. I've been discontent. I don't want that in my life. There is something greater than that. So give me neither poverty nor riches. Give me just enough to satisfy my needs. Give me just enough to satisfy my needs. And this is what's so cool, because he's connecting his finances to an eternal perspective. And he says this, If I grow too rich, I may, not, may deny you, and says, Who is the Lord? He's going, Life's not about acquisition. Life's not about stuff. Life's not about achievement. But sometimes when we're really successful, we start putting our trust in ourselves and not in Jesus. And he says, I know that's a temp- that would be a temptation for me to do that. Start trusting in me and not trusting in God. And I don't want that. And if I'm too poor, I may steal and thus insult God's holy name. And he says, I want to have a healthy balance when it comes to finances in my life. This is his prayer. God, don't make me too poor. And then don't make me too rich. And maybe the challenge for us is to pray both ends of the prayer. Maybe you prayed, the, don't make me too poor, but you've never said, God, don't make me too rich because you missed the temptation that happens. God's word never changes. God never changes. And the last thing that never changes, that is eternal, that is with us forever, it's people. People. Look around this room. Buildings come and go. Buildings fall apart. Stuff comes. But God gave us a soul that we would last for all eternity. And, and in Corinthians, Paul says it like this. We fix our attention not on the things that are seen, but on the things that are unseen. For what can be seen lasts only for a time, but what can be unseen lasts forever. We can't see into the soul of the life of someone else. But he's asking us this question as we kind of close out this message. Am I going to focus in my life on people? Or am I going to focus on 
my possessions? Am I going to focus on riches or am I going to focus on relationships? Am I going to focus on stuff or am I going to focus on serving God who is eternal, who actually wants to give me contentment? And for many of us, we have not experienced contentment in our life before. And here's the truth. Everything that I've talked about today is the opposite of what the world says. The world says you can have all these things. More is better. Bigger is better. Get this, get that. It keeps going on and on and on. And, but real satisfaction, real contentment is found in God. And he's offering that to you and I. So why don't we just take a moment and just kind of confess and open our hearts up to God and say, I want to be someone that fixes my eyes on Jesus, just, just like Paul did. I want to be people, someone that learns the secret of contentment, just like Paul did. I want to be someone that is not obsessed with the stuff, but I want to be obsessed. If I'm going to be obsessed with something, I want to be obsessed with the, the giver of life, and that's Jesus Christ. So let's pray. Jesus Christ, we come before you as people that oftentimes stuff gets in the way of us knowing you. Oftentimes we... We find ourselves saying, even in our homes and in our families, you know, I need this. I deserve this. I'm in control of this. And it takes a situation that we get way in over our head and we see the mess of where our finances are at. And maybe some people today, they look at their finances and they go, it's just a rainbow of mess in my life. And this morning, God, you want to speak into our lives and you want to speak into our hearts and you want, to, you want to let us know that we can experience real contentment and that it's by focusing on you that we can begin to untangle the mess of our finances, untangle the mess of our debt, and untangle the mess of all of the things that, that, that have gotten us off track of focusing on all kinds of stuff. And, and stuff isn't wrong in and of itself. It's not wrong to have those things. It's not wrong to have a nice house. But we made that our life about acquiring things instead of just enjoying those things. So Lord, give us a heart of contentment as we stop comparing ourselves, as we enjoy what you've given us and we fix our attention and our focus on you. Because you last forever. You last forever.